When I was just out of college, I worked for a local film collector who ran a business digitizing old tapes and films. We did most of our work for the college research libraries in the surrounding area, but supplemented those large projects with private work, digitizing old public domain educational shorts for filmmakers looking for kitschy stock footage and preserving old home movies. I've always loved home movies. Pop culture portrayals of boring relatives forcing reels of vacation footage on guests and our modern ability to record ourselves instantaneously whenever we want to have led us to take them for granted now, but to me, they always felt magic. Making home movies used to require a lot of effort, equipment, and know-how that evolved constantly and quickly. Not to sound like a YouTube video with a title like Gen Z Reacts to Old Film Cameras, but yeah. If you put an old 16mm camera into the hands of most people today, they wouldn't have a single clue how to use it. At first, the technology was cumbersome and expensive, and when you see pre-World War II home movies, it's always of the wealthy, lazing about on the lawns of mansions in full suits and hats for some reason. A modernized version of the wealthy's love of portraiture. But as the technology was refined, it was made cheaper, easier to use, more disposable, but more democratic. 16mm gave way to 8mm. 8 gave way to Super 8. Film on reels was replaced with film and handy cartridges. Cartridges were replaced with tapes. Tapes were replaced with digital storage and so on and so forth. More available, but more ephemeral. No longer just a way for the rich to show off how rich they were. The ability to make a home movie, a record of your existence, became something anyone could learn. I think, when I look back, that's what made me love it so much. I felt a kinship to anyone who'd, whether in the early days of hobbyists to the every-family-needs-this-fad of Super 8 and Polaroids, picked up a camera and decided that whatever they were experiencing, they wanted to capture it. Sitting there, in the flickering light of the images on the screen, I'd see them. People who wanted to capture a moment of their lives... Birthdays, hikes, weddings, vacations, I'd watch them all. It's easier than you think to get lost in someone else's memory. I'd dream in settings I'd seen in the movies, campgrounds, dining rooms, looking off the deck of a ski chalet somewhere in the Alps. I'd experience the uncanny feeling of handing a hard drive of files to an old person who I'd just watched three hours of as a baby or knowing that the grandfather they never met and hoped to see for the first time was already putzing about in my head, showing off his new car to the camera's lens. There's the old adage, we die twice, once when our heart stops and again when we're thought of for the last time. But what are we in between? A ghost? Isn't that the best explanation for what a ghost is? A memory separated from the physical body? Your mind convincing you that you saw the familiar shape of someone walking down a hall, even after they're gone? What happens when you start to remember things that are real, but aren't yours? Is that what being haunted is? Seeing someone else's memory play out in your own head? Around the end of my time working at this job, I experienced a series of rough patches. A bad breakup left me reeling, a sudden illness that landed me in the hospital on heavy painkillers, the stress of applying for grad school and planning a move I was now making alone. 
I wasn't sleeping well, and I was trying my best to drink away the memory of the person who broke my heart. The days in the film lab started to feel like a blur. My boss lived in a large repurposed boarding house that housed his film collection. The back of the house where I worked was previously divided up into the tiny little apartments where people who were down on their luck, fresh out of jail, or just passing through had lived. In one of the rooms, a former tenant had spray-painted Jimi Hendrix and a rose on the wall. It must have reeked of paint in that back area for months, but again, sometimes we just need to make a mark to prove we existed. To brighten a shitty one-room flop into something that was ours. When my boss would go and run errands or head to the bank or meet with someone, I'd sit back in the tiny rooms and work on films, my head pounding from the night before and the smell of cleaner and old films washing out my senses. I'd watch the flickering images of long-lost memories and let the ghosts wash over me. I am the little boy with the black dog. It's 1951 and it's my birthday. I am an important businessman, but on my vacation to the French Riviera in 76, I was a real cut-up for my kids. I am at the Grand Canyon, and I don't know if I'll ever see something so beautiful again. I think about how much I miss my dog, my wife, my old Ford truck. I'd wonder if my kids were still alive. The woman who brought the films to the front door and smiled at the stoned 22-year-old with the faraway look in his eyes said these were for Granddad's birthday, so maybe at least my son is still around. I wonder if I said I loved him enough. And then I'd hear the flapping of the tail end of the film as it wound its way through the machine, and I'd snap out of the feeling. Then I'd take another reel from the box and start it over again, again and again. Shifting settings, time, people, the experience of seeing someone else's life flash before your eyes. It's not easy to know what an old film or tape is going to contain. Sometimes I'd be gripped by the fear that I was about to learn something I wouldn't be able to handle. An intimate moment that wasn't meant for my eyes. A funeral or someone having sex or a tearful goodbye to a soldier who I'd find out later never came home. My biggest fear was always that I'd stumble on some horrible snuff film and see that the reels of film found in Uncle's office were of him slowly but steadily choking the life out of someone he knew no one would miss. When the smiling woman who dropped off the films came back, would I have to tell her about the terrible ghost that now lived in my head? Or would I need to destroy the film and blame it all on projector malfunction and go to my grave with the memory safely locked inside my head. Whenever my boss would leave to run errands, I'd make a small circuit around the house, checking the dark corners of the rooms filled with the shelves of the film reels. What did I expect to see? The little boy with the black dog looking back at one of the last people holding on to his memory? The man who would not let him finally, truly die? As the films they had been bound to faded and cracked, I was there to usher them into the next object they would haunt. From the film to the light to the hard drive, the images logged away and ready to create new memories, to perpetuate the ghosts till their hard drives were obsolete and they either expire or move on to the next technological medium. Who was I to doom them to live on longer as a ghost? What mayhem would they make in my dreams for what I'd done to them? And then my boss would return, 
a box of crispy creams in his hand, and the weird feeling would slowly fade. The smiling woman would return to pick up her box of films and hard drive and thank us for our help. I never had to cover for a murderer. I never saw anything too unspeakable or sad. Just the sort of mundane happinesses that make life worth remembering. Perhaps I, sad, alone, hurt, had just projected my own fears over the images on the screen. Sometimes when I left work, I'd walk home. Not an easy walk. It took an hour plus to make it from nearly one side of the city to the other. I'd wind through my favorite neighborhoods, downtown, maybe stop at a bar for a drink before continuing on down the oak-lined streets where I lived in a small studio apartment. On these long returns home, I'd think about the ghosts I'd brought home with me, and how likely it was that they had walked the same streets I'd watched during their time alive, or how their relatives and the films they had made traveled from elsewhere to wind up in the attics and closets of North Carolina. Even in this small way, we shared a history. They are me, and I am them, for their experiences became linked with my own. It's been years now since I sat in the tiny former apartments that made up the archives and handled film, and when I dream now, I can't tell if the things I see are from any of the films I saw. There's a couple that still pop up from time to time in the glitching hard drive of my brain. If I focus for a second, I can see them clearly, free from the eerie context of unhappy times and lonely memories. The way memories tend to age. But these memories are just for me. When I'm gone, I will have fulfilled my obligation to the ghosts in my head and set them free. Hopefully someone who really cares for them is still clicking their files and checking in on them every once in a while. Thank you for listening to my tale. I hope if it didn't fill you with a strange sense of dread you can't put your finger on, you've at least enjoyed spending some time with me on this Please Make This Minisode, The Haunting of a Podcast. Maybe my voice will find a little place to rest in your memory, and I'll live on in your mind, avoiding my second death within the audio file of this show. I promise my ghost won't take up too much space. Happy Halloween. This show has been brought to you by Machine Culture. 